people want to believe. We just tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it isn't so easy to understand? This is No God. Welcome to the No God Podcast. I am Micah, and I'm here today with my dad, Tony. Uh, thanks, Micah. I have been in church leadership for more than 40 years, have been part of discussions with a lot of different people in a lot of different settings, and they're just asking just really good, straightforward questions, and I've tried to answer them. And so I realized that there are some basics that are easy to apply to be, being able to understand the Bible, and even more to the point, so that they can really come to know God. All right, and also here with us today is my mom, Sandy. Hi. So uh, what's, uh, what are we diving into today? Well, today we're going to uh, jump into the five most misunderstood passages of the New Testament. All right. So like, uh, are we talking about misunderstood or misused, misappropriated? <laughs> well, again, in my wonderful opinion, it's like uh, misunderstood is where it all starts because we don't misapply them until they're misunderstood. But it, it doesn't really matter. We come from it in all directions. Um, and it, to me, understanding Bible passages is more about not just understanding every word in that sentence, but rather understanding big picture stuff, uh, things that have to do with the what's said before it and after it within that actual passage, like within the same chapter or the same book of the Bible in that historical context. And also then just always taking uh, concepts and interpreting them consistently from passage to passage and not just like contradicting myself or oneself, because this passage seems to say this kind of thing, and so, but this one doesn't, and so we just kind of ignore the need for consistency. And so part of this uh, this podcast is about having that consistent, uh, within the right time frame and the right context, uh, understanding of Bible passages. All right. So, so we can jump right into it. Right, yep. First one, first one on our list is... Uh, when people just say, doesn't the Bible say, don't judge? That actually comes from uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And I'm, Sandy's here, and she's going to read that passage for us. All right. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So again, I've heard it actually, that very first line or the very first phrase in that, do not judge as like, that's the final thing on that statement is, oh, I'm not supposed to judge. In fact, I was once in a jury selection pool (laughs) that one person protested to the judge that they should be dismissed from the jury because they didn't believe in judging because after all, the Bible says, do not judge. Did you correct him right then? No, that is not the place of a <laughs> prospective uh, juror to talk across the room. No, but the judge... Hey, 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 excuse me. <laughs> but the judge managed to say, uh, do you ever tell your children what to do? She said, well, yes. Uh, then you judge. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So that was kind of fun. But that's the problem with that do not judge. Many people just don't want to be in a position of contradicting or a position of authority or looking like they aren't accepting of other people. And so that's a really popular one, although we see it all the time that people judge all the time. And, and that's, that's no, no doubt about that. But the context of this one is Jesus saying, uh, don't condemn. And that's the problem when we have the English word judge. In a lot of our translations, we're reading it from the NIV, but almost all English translations put the word judge. And there are different words that are translated judge from the original text, which was written in Greek. 
uh, translation that in this case, Matthew would have made from the words of Jesus because Jesus actually would have been speaking Aramaic. So they chose different Greek words to represent what Jesus was saying at that in those times. And this one is the word for condemn in the sense of making a final condemnation on somebody. And honestly, as you look through, and we're not going to survey all those passages today, but there are uh, clear statements that, that do say, and some of the translations will say don't condemn instead of don't judge. But in this case, this passage in the NIV is don't go around condemning people or you too will be condemned with the same kind of standard. And the problem is that when we want to condemn people, it often is our pet peeves that we want to condemn them about, and it's not big picture things. And so we say, well, that person shouldn't be doing this, but it's okay for me to do this kind of thing. And that's what Jesus was really dealing with. And so he was saying, you know what, the kind of heart that I have towards someone else and their situation, their challenges, um, and if I'm very ungracious, no, no grace given, no slack cut to them, then that's the same kind of attitude that God says is what we are asking from him as people. All right. What's our next verse? Um, Romans eight twenty eight. correct? Yeah. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Again, this is one of those where people just kind of popularly only use the first handful of words of that passage of Scripture they will they have this conviction or sometimes misunderstanding that god causes all things right that's how that verse starts off and so that's what people some people not this is not as widely a problem but for those who have this problem it really moves toward really uh, bizarre uh, statements about what God is causing to happen. Because it would say then that God causes every war to happen, that God causes every fight to happen, that God causes every kind of, of abuse to happen. And so that's really problematic. And people who say that, uh, I don't know. I mean, people have different reasons that they have that particular conviction. But yeah, the solution to that one is in the whole verse and in the whole context of this. Yeah, because I, I think I've heard that a lot with like, you know, if you if you don't get a job you were trying to get or if, uh, you know, just you don't get the raise or things just don't turn out quite like you wanted, well, you know, that must be God's plan for your life. So he must have caused it because he causes all things. Right. Right. And so God causes hurt to come to a person. And that's his plan is this person is just going to be hurt. This right. person's going to and, and take it to its really ultimate type, type of possibilities. A person, you know, God's going to cause a person to be abused. God is going to cause a person to die uh, in a car accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the list is endless of mm-hmm. the things. And there are people who feel like that's that's what the Bible says. That's the only answer to all of the bad that happens in the world. Right. So uh, what's our solution there? Well, the solution is to first actually just read the whole verse. And it does help, it does help at times to read these these verses in more than one translation. And so I've got it right in front of me right now. And what Sandy read was the New American Standard Bible, which is an older, more literal kind of word for word thing. And it helps us out quite a bit just by simply looking at it says that we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so if you just kind of back away from that, one is that actually start at the end of that sentence. First of all, this is only talking about people who are following him 
called according to his purpose, which we know from the other New Testament teachings that that's a, that's a description of people who have come into Christ and are part of the church, part of the plan that God has to redeem the world through the church. And so God's purpose for everybody who is a follower of Christ is to be a part of helping other people find their way back to a relationship with God. And so something bad happens to me, God can take that bad thing, he didn't cause it to happen, but he can take it and then turn it to work toward his ultimate purpose, which is to help other people find a relationship with him through Christ. And kind of the intermediate step in between that is in this verse, which is it works together for good or for the good of those who love God. And again, it doesn't say that the bad thing happened and God's not going to make that look good. It's not that. It is that God is going to take that and it's going to become part of a progression of events that moves toward the best um, end possibility for those who are loving him, who are called according to his purpose. So that's actually the promise, is that anything bad that happens, it is something that God can use through the response to people praying and to the response of people doing the right thing uh, to help that to help people have that be something that is useful to helping other people know the love of God. Right. It, it, it is not something to <clears throat> applaud and to, and to and in essence to put on God that that bad thing happened, that evil thing happened. But instead, it's it's just that that evil can be turned around and can become a piece of moving a person toward knowing God. So it's less of a um, a verse used to explain just everything going on and more of a kind of to inspire you through the hardships where even when things when, when things go wrong, knowing that that also can bring something good. Yeah, it gives you hope when you're going through a problem to believe that some good is going to come out of that eventually. Right. But then it's not supposed to discourage that that thing that gave you no hope, that wasn't the that wasn't God's plan for right. you necessarily. That that wasn't him causing that to then push you in another direction necessarily. That was it's so that verse kind of is to inspire us through the hard times. Right. And it also the not just the verse, but the whole section of Romans, chapter eight, generally speaking, um, is about helping followers of Christ, believers, understand why or the, the role that the sufferings and the bad things that still happen to followers of Christ, where those things kind of fall into place about what it means. Because we are in this, we're free from the sin and free from the, the guilt of our sins, but we still are in the world and we go through the sufferings that other people cause to us and also the consequences of our own bad choices and sinful and ongoing sinful choices. And so it is that God takes those things and it's just a promise that really, even though things can have very disastrous consequences for the Christian, the Christian making a bad choice or, or going ahead and sinning, ending up with bad consequences, it basically still is saying that through that, God can still work out good for many, many people. And that's what you see in testimonies about recovery, people who are honest about all of the disaster of their life or all of the things that they did and hurt other people or other people hurt them, abused them. And the story that can come out that there's hope that even though the bad things shouldn't have happened in a perfect world, God takes the 
consequences and moves people to opportunities to turn to him. Mm-hmm. Kind of contrasting with this is Romans chapter 2, verse 4, which has a very kind of a <clears throat> maybe a more positive spin on this. And that is where it's, it talks about that uh, everybody sins, but that God's kindness, and this is a quote from the New American Standard, God's kindness leads you to repentance or to turn to him. And so it is that in every circumstance, God is always applying kindness to draw people to turn back to him. And I think Mm -hmm. that is implied in this Romans 8, and it's in the same letter that Paul wrote. It's just in what we mark as chapter 2, and this is chapter 8. And so God, God isn't just passively like, and not just even playing chess with, well, too bad, this person is just going to suffer a lot because I need them to kind of be the point person or to be the person that's taking all of the hits right? so that everybody else can come to believe, it is woven into that is God's grace and his kindness mm-hmm. that makes this promise um, personal, you know, where a person can say, I, I'm, and, and that's the thing to pray, God, please help me to, to experience your kindness through this and help other people around me to experience your kindness through this circumstance mm-hmm. so that they can turn. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good example of like those verses really help each other out. So no one, what's around a verse right. helps mm-hmm. you understand it better. Right. And the, we take the, at that point, we're taking the whole book of Romans, or at least the first half of the book of Romans, and you say, well, they, what does this say about the same kind of topic? And sometimes people go, well, if they do a little like word search in a, in a Bible software, right. they're not going to find that connection. That connection only comes from actually reading the Bible and then thinking in terms of, well, this Romans 8 says that God causes all these things to work together for good. So I'm going to just read the rest of Romans, kind of with that theme in my mind, and see what else the book of Romans, Paul wrote in the book of Romans, that applies to this to help me understand this picture a little bit better. So again, that's just kind of a Bible reading uh, skill. Tip. Tip. There we go. <laughs> all right. So what do we got next? Well, the next one is the misunderstood thing that God doesn't give me anything more than what I can handle. That's a very popular kind of thing. So 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. All right, and that's from the New Living Translation. And I think it's a really good kind of just clear way to understand that. And so first of all, God doesn't give me more than I can handle. That sometimes the the misapplication of that passage is nothing bad should happen in my life or that nothing that would make me, what, feel bad, feel discouraged, go into depression, you know, be a trigger for uh, an addiction, all of those things that 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 passage is that that concept is used to say that if something bad has happened to me, <clears throat> then that means God is not being true to His promises. And again, that's it relates to some of these other passages mm-hmm. that we've already talked about. But this passage is talking about that God is faithful, and He actually provides a way of of enduring it or a way of escape, as some translations say. The problem is that many times we don't like the escape hatch that's been given to us. Right, right. 
I think of people go, oh, I don't want to have to pick up the phone and call my friend for help. Yeah. That may be the path of escape that God has given to avoid this temptation. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to admit my weakness. And so I just choose not to use God's path of being able to endure it. This is more, the misapplication of this comes from, I want to be self-sustained. I don't want to have to, re- I don't want to have to share this with anybody. And also, I should come out looking like I'm a really strong person. Right. It's like you can be self-sufficient. Self-sufficient, because, prideful. Yeah, we want it to just be God and me. Right. I don't want to, you know, have other people involved. It should be just God and me. Right. That's enough. And again, that's where this thing gets, uh, gets misapplied, is that I should be able to have my own whatever method of personal inspiration, devotion, quiet time, and that should be enough to carry me through any challenge, and I don't have to do anything else. It may be I need to quit going to the bar. It may be I need to stop talking to that person that's always abusive to me. I need to draw a boundary. That is something that God gives me, and maybe it is that I need to go get a counselor. Again, that may be a way of escape from a temptation, and it could just simply be turn off the TV. That's the way of escape. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, get out of your house. Get out of your house. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It kind of depends on what, what it is that, that the weakness that right. you're struggling with. Right. You know, for some people, they need to be home more. Maybe some people need to get out more. Right. Right. And so, for example, just to, you know, what seems to, to us nowadays to be extreme is, well, you know, if the temptations to immorality, to um, online gambling, to online pornography, whatever it is, then the way of escape may be for that person you just need to, if you can't have someone to be accountable to about that, then you just get off the internet. You just don't use the internet. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like, oh, isn't that extreme? Well, that may be the path of escape. So it's not an easy way of escape it necessarily. It's just there is a way. You might have to fight for it, though. Right. I kind of want to tag into this, the, yeah. ve- the sentence or the verse that is immediately before this passage about being able to have a way of escape. The verse right before then says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Or in another translation, he who thinks he's strong, take heed lest he fall. And so again, it is, it, it's, that passage is directly addressing pride. Right. I think I've got this together. I don't need any help. Oh, well, I guess I might need God to help me sometimes, but that's the only one. I'm going to do that in private prayer. <laughs> and not, you know, and that, and basically it says, well, that's just the exact scenario to fall. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. to have pride. So that's that one. Um, All right. Any other thoughts on that one? Nope. Okay. We covered it well, I think. <laughs> we are ready for the fourth one, which is Ooh, a yes. fun one. This is on many, many posters. <laughs> this and, is my favorite one. <laughs> and this one is uh, like a shared on Facebook. Everybody's got a version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it, it partly the problem is it. Well, let's let's read it first. Can we read it? Go ahead and read it. <laughs> so Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Right. Yeah. Me. So like this is like the <laughs> ultimate like sports verse. Oh yeah. <laughs> In fact, this is one I remember a few years ago, some high school cheerleading group at some, I don't remember, I don't remember where it was, but I remember it hit the news cycles. It was the cheerleaders made posters that basically had this verse, I can do anything through Christ or some such phrasing. 
And they had it on posters to inspire the football players. And, of course, it got into the courts about separation of church and state <laughs> yeah. is well, where that went. But I mean, I, I remember, like, the uh, uh, Facebook during Tim Tebow when he was still someone that it, people talked about. Um, like, you know, just little pictures of him doing his little... Kneel down. Kneel that, down. Yeah, yeah, Kneel yeah. Down. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it would, it would have that on there. And, obviously, uh, he didn't really do all things through Christ who strengthened him. So that's right. He did a lot of things, but not all. Yeah. Things. <laughs> so I think, you know, I see this used a lot for just, you know, I, anything I set my mind to, I'm going to get done because mm-hmm. God's looking out for me and it doesn't really work like that. So I, I, you know, I think in the end, it's just like, ah, well, I mean, that one must not be right. So it, it kind of degrades things, everything. If, uh, if you take that one like that. Well, that is, um, part of that problem is, Again, context. What is this talking about around this passage in Philippians? And Philippians is a great short little book of the Bible to read. It talks a lot about being content and rejoicing in the Lord and stuff like that. And so this passage uh, comes into play when the Apostle Paul is talking about all the things that he has faced in his life and that uh, he's trying to encourage them. And so he says... You know, what's happened to me, this is the the sentence before this verse that gets quoted a lot. He says, you know, what's happened to me, which was imprisonments, uh, going through shipwrecks, all of these different things that he has listed in other places in this uh, scriptures. He then says that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. And that actually echoes back to our Romans 8 passage. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Yeah, it actually echoes back to Romans 8. And so then... He says that because of that, all of this stuff has gone through the palace guard, that people have heard the gospel that wouldn't have heard it otherwise. So he's saying basically by becoming a prisoner, he did this. And so really, because he didn't say, I can do all things. That is, I could escape from prison, you know. And in fact, at times, there are stories in the book of Acts where someone was released from prison miraculously by God because that that was what happened. It was God's plan. But in this case... Paul stays chained and he actually is no longer free for a number of years to travel like he had been preaching the gospel. And so then he took it as, well, this is this is the situation and I can continue to preach the gospel. It's just going to be to one person, typically the guard that was chained to him. <laughs> uh, and, captive audience. Yeah, captive audience in reverse order there, kind of. And so Paul looked at that and his summary of that was... I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It was, a, it was a general statement in the Greek that gets translated a lot by I can do all things, but it could just as well be translated, I can face any circumstance. Paul, Paul wrote this passage to generally talk about that he could face anything, that he could go through anything through the power that God gave him. It wasn't so much that he could initiate to do anything, that he could actively do it, which it doesn't, it's not saying that that can't happen, but this verse is more particularly talking about, I can handle anything that comes my way, which sounds, you know, it's still in the same ballpark as this, but that then avoids the misapplication of this passage that I decide that I'm going to earn a million dollars in one year. Through Christ, who strengthens me, I can earn a million dollars in one year. That's the misapplication of this passage, is that I can somehow decide that here's this lofty goal Mm -hmm. and that I can make it happen because I'm calling on Christ to give me the power to make that happen. And that's 
really probably the abuse of it. And that's kind yeah. of an odd, I mean, that's a over the top yeah. kind of model of that. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, cause it's more about, um, an encouragement of, uh, or almost a state of mind more than a results where it's not about what you can accomplish. It's about what you can do with God. You know, you can walk through any kind of struggles. You can make it through whatever, whether it's good or bad, you can make it through whatever is being thrown at you through Christ. Right. And so that you, it helps you with fear because all of us have things we fear and they can get really out of hand. This is a verse that helps you realize, okay, whatever comes, if I end up being a widow for 20 years, God will get me through it. Whatever comes, God will get me through it instead of being your life being where you're handicapped because you're so fearful about everything. Right? Right. And this Philippians letter is actually one that most reader, most people can read it. It's short. Its sentences are, tend to be short. And even so, just like a couple paragraphs before this verse that gets used so much is a simple thing where, it, first of all, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. It's, in other words, Paul is saying you need to find things to be happy about and rejoice in. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, again, we take that passage, you go, Paul's talking about this same thing, just within a handful of sentences. And so what he's talking about is that there's this peace and this sense of purpose that can be true for any believer, no matter what the circumstances are. So I may be in prison, which Paul was in this particular, as he wrote this letter, and he goes, hey, I'm seeing these good things that are happening. I'm seeing the gospel advance because here I am. I'm in a situation that I never necessarily would have wanted to be in, but he didn't He didn't fight it. He just, well, he did fight it, actually. He appealed to Caesar right. to get that uh, accusation removed from his life. But in the meantime, he you could say that he was unjustly detained, but they kept him detained for two years before he even was brought to trial. <laughs> wow. And he goes, nope. This is, I can face this. I can handle this. And it's ultimately in God's hands. Whatever the outcome is, that's about what Christ wants done. So this, that verse mm-hmm. is a great one for, yeah. for that. Yeah. So we have a fifth one. We're ready for that one? We are ready for that one. This one is not even, the, the one thing that's different about this thing is that it's not even like in the phrasing of the right. verse of the Bible that people get this so thought So tell us the theme of the misunderstood first. Well, the misunderstood is the, this this phrase that people pop out when they are dealing with someone that they just don't know what to do about them and they have a lifestyle that's much different than what they approve of or that what they're comfortable with. And so this one is, hate the sin, but love the sinner. The problem is that it actually doesn't say it that way at all. So Sandy's all going right, to read that so I'll first. read it. Jude, verse 22 and 23. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. There's a up and down verse. <laughs> That's a very short book, right? Yeah, it, in fact, it doesn't even, it's, no not even marked, it's, yeah. it's not even marked in a chapter. It's, it's just 24, how many verses? Let me see here. It's uh, 25 verses. Um, and so it's, it's a great one being merciful. Um, and it does talk, I mean, it does talk about the responsibility that f- believers, that Christians have for to be merciful 
that's the first part of that uh, sentence in verse 22. Merciful to those who are doubting, those who are struggling with, I just cannot get this figured out, or I just can't believe that God would let this happen, or I can't believe that God could actually help me. All doubts come from a lot of different directions. And so there's this thing, there's people who doubt, they need to have a lot of mercy, just a lot of compassion and, and, and care. There are other people whose lives are in critical uh, situation and an intervention is an appropriate step. Again, that's like, whoa, because that's yeah. like save others by snatching them from the fire. Well, probably one of the things that we see uh, with that in a couple ways. One is in a recovery situation right, yeah. where somebody, a family member works with a counselor and, and gets all of the players involved, employer, family members, so forth. And they have an intervention, which is like a stereotypical disaster for the, the uh, <laughs> addicted or addict person. And they typically it's never a pleasant experience for anybody, actually. Right. Being snatched from a fire probably right. wouldn't be pleasant. Right. Right. <laughs> But if you think about it, it's what law enforcement does with DUI. If a person can't walk the line, if they can't pass the breathalyzer, then their car keys are taken from them and they are hauled to jail. That is snatching someone from the fire of where they would be damaging their own life. And in particular, that step is taken to protect other innocent people from the harm that that person might bring by driving under the influence. All right. So So there's that two. We've got that one. And then with other people... We are showing mercy, uh, which is a proactive thing. It's not just attitude. It is proactive. I'm going to do some things. It means I'm going to be involved in their life because then what it says there, this is mixed with fear. In other words, a, an appreciation of the fact that I could be sucked into the same deal. Right. So this is not the arrogant, you, you've got this problem. I have no problem with it, and I don't really care. This, again, is more about having the mercy, the compassion for someone who has a struggle similar to maybe that I've overcome in my own life. But I go, you know what? I'm going to have to go in there and reach out to them, even though it puts me in a kind of a vulnerable position for myself. That would be the fear part. I fear that I could become vulnerable in trying to help this person, showing them mercy. But think about it. The people who benefit the most Mm -hmm. often are helped by someone who have the same background problem that they have. Right. They struggle with the same thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. And so it says, this verse in the NIV says, so we show mercy, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh, which is the where you hate the sin. That's where that <laughs> concept comes in. It's really, when you think about it, hating the clothing stained is talking about the consequences of the sin. So it would be that you go... And again, let's, you know, let's stick to the addict, you know, okay, yeah. chemically dependent person. You go, all of these consequences of, ru- of uh, damaged relationships, of damaged um, finances, all of these things, you, you hate the consequences, but you still have the mercy on the person. And so I know maybe it's a nuance of difference, yeah. but the problem with saying hate the sin, love the sinner is it's extremely arrogant. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this, uh, this one is cautioning you because you got issues, too. Whether right. it's the same one the person has, you could still have, you could still end up sinning in this process if you aren't, if you're, you know, arrogant. Yeah. I mean, and like, I've got it all figured out. I'm going to fix you. Right. You know. Yeah. And so there's an appropriate time when maybe I have absolutely no 
problem with no draw to a certain kind of, of lifestyle that a person is in that's being destructive to their life. And I can still go in and try to help them mercifully, but I'll be, I'll be questioned about, do I even, can I even understand right. mm-hmm. what they're going right. through? So this is talking more about, I totally understand. I, I understand enough of what you're going through that you can trust me. Mm-hmm. Whereas otherwise yeah. the person has to transfer that trust almost like just because they're so desperate yeah. to, for right. help. But this is not talking about the person who knows they're desperately in need of help. This is talking about the person whose life is leading them down a horrible path of consequences. And they're not really aware of it, or at least they're in denial. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. And I've, you know, I've, I've uh, done that quite a bit with uh, you know, people struggling with alcohol or other substance abuse. And you know, they, it's uh, a wife of someone that's you know, got a struggle. So they don't really think they have a problem at all. They're just completely fine with it. And you know, there, there is that having to be careful because you know there is a lot about that lifestyle that does still tug as a temptation so you don't have to keep that you know that alcohol abuse in check of remembering why i walked out of that um where you know you have a a lot of mercy on the person but just knowing that what's going on that could suck me in so i have to i have to keep the uh, the appropriate amount of i guess fear of it or uh you know just knowing that that's not where i want to go again right again the Jude, in in writing this, uses the metaphor of saving someone from a fire, so from a burning building. So use firefighters as a model. Well, the firefighter goes in, not necessarily because they've been in a fire, but they go in to rescue someone, but they are not doing it alone. Right. They are a team of other firefighters. Sometimes they, for sure, they're in uh, communication with them nowadays with technology, and sometimes they're actually still like visually in a line or they're somehow attached by, you know, uh, rescue lines and stuff like that, that they're going in to say, but they're not doing it solo. And again, maybe the theme of this whole uh, podcast is that Mm -hmm. a person who approaches life on a solo mission is destined for a lot of hurt and failure, at least in what they're trying to accomplish for God. Right. Yeah. Uh, It is interesting, even just, you know, taking these, specific versus how in conjunction they all start to paint a bigger picture even though you know, we don't have all the rest of the chapters around and all that kind of stuff just even these verses that theme comes out that's missing a lot of the times when you just take one of them one by one right and that takes us back to the concept of consistency it is that the scriptures always talk about that a human being a follower of christ never does anything solo I guess I shouldn't, even Moses, when he went up on the mountain, when he saw the burning bush, that moment was solo. But what happened when, when he came out of that, he was sent to go find his brother, Aaron. He was uh, connected to the community of Israelites as he went to Egypt. And so he had a solo experience, but it didn't stay solo. Right. He mm-hmm. shared it with other people. And again, I think that that's in this individualistic society that we right. live in. Uh, We have to always, the check for any passage of scripture is, if it's telling me that I'm on my own, that I have no support, or that I don't have to help someone who is struggling, because these, the Jude passage says, yeah, you got to take some initiative and reach out to them. And also that I have to stay in context of what I'm doing helps other people. It's for the good of other people because that's God's plan. And ultimately, the people come to know in faith, but also just that people's needs are met. 
Right. And so we we just don't do it solo. I mean, it's right. it's always in the in in community with other people. Right. So that's really the the overall consistency that we need to have in dealing with passages like this that are very popular. Is that all we got for today? That's all for today. There's other passages that somebody might want to hear about. You can always uh, let us know about that. Yeah, then. But we will uh, we'll do another group of four or five on another podcast in the future. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we did say these were the <clears throat> most misused. Might be slightly exaggerated. They're just uh, some of the ones that we find most interesting. But yeah, there are a lot more. And I think uh, kind of the the reason I wanted to do this particular um, topic was just kind of I, I think it really highlights the need for um, the, the kind of the kind of thing that you can bring to the table with understanding the larger implications of stuff because it's it's really easy just to be drawn to picking one thing out and trying to figure it out from what you got there. One verse, yeah. Right. And again, that's the, you know, the social media little post of yeah. uh, you found on a website or you created your own little icon or little uh, graphic of a verse like this. It's always important to at least uh, make some context to that if a person's posting it. But that's the typical thing. People just find this kind of thing. They just want to share it or whatever. And sometimes you just wonder, I don't know what that's about. Don't right. know what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you again for all your uh, great research for it. And uh, thanks for our listeners for listening. And we will be back in a week or so. have any questions just email us at nogod at tonikafka.com that's k-n-o-w-g-o-d at t-o-n-y-k-a-f-k-a dot com